you've enjoyed the past couple weeks and now uh, today. Strap in because we are going to read the entire, not the entirety, almost the entirety of Numbers chapter 22 today. There's like four or five, maybe six slides of verses. So strap in. Uh, I, I taught this message lesson, however word you want to use, at chapel on Friday at Faith Mountain. And I told them, I said, I'm not going to try to read it to you because my ADD brain goes haywire after a few verses. I can't imagine what yours are going to do. I'm expecting more out of you guys than I am out of sixth graders through 12th graders, okay? Can we do it this morning? We'll try. We'll do our best, right? Numbers chapter 22. This is a story that a lot of you have asked if I'm going to do, and I said, yes, don't worry. We'll get there. We're going to talk about, and I really want to make a joke here about this, Balaam and his donkey. We'll use nice terminology today, shall we? Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 through 35. Strap in. Let's read it, shall we? Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Verse 15. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. Verse 22, 
But God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his hand in the way, excuse me, took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing the way with his sword drawn in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to him, said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. All right. Let's set the stage here for what's happening. Israel has been brought up out of Egypt, right? Moses was leading them. It's going great. They've spent 40 years in the desert. Not so great. You now have others, Joshua and such, leading the Israelites. And they are just laying waste to the land of Canaan. Not destroying the land, but nobody can stop them. There's not a single force that can stop this Israelite army marching through the land. Why? Because God's promised them the land. All right? So the king of Moab, who you'll notice a lot of the time in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, Israel has issues with the Moabites, comes to the leader of the Midianites and says, hey, let's strike up an alliance because none of us can beat him. None of us can beat this Israelite army. And better yet, let's not just strike up an alliance. Let's get God on our side. Send money and emissaries to Balaam to have him curse the Israelite army. That's the setting where we find this whole story about Balaam's talking donkey. I want to point out a few things as we walk through this. There's a few different moments that we'll talk about of parallel that happens. And quite a few moments of where we look at Balaam and go, wow, you're an idiot, yet we do the same thing. Let's talk about it all. Number one on your note sheets, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. We've talked about this before, right? God is omniscient, which means he knows everything perfectly. Not just knows everything, knows everything perfectly. He knows, Maddie and I love Marvel. 
And right now, there's a couple of different Marvel shows out. The one that's out right now is called What If? And the whole point of it is, what if something different happens than what actually happened. And there's branching timelines and all that kind of stuff. And whole new universes are created because one person did something differently than what it was supposed to be done before. The fact of the matter is there are not branching timelines. There are not parallel universes. But God does know everything that would happen for every decision you have made and will make either way. The way I always explain it, and sorry, Lene, I'm going to use you as my guinea pig here because Maddie's not in here, so I can't use her. He knows exactly what would happen if I decided right now just to walk up to my lovely sister and clock her in the face as hard as I can. He also knows exactly what will happen if I don't do that. I am not going to do that, just so we're all clear. But he knows literally the entire course of history going forward if I did do that. And every decision she makes after that. She said you'd get it right back. He knows what would happen if she did that. Also what would happen if she decided to show forgiveness on her stupid younger brother. He knows it all. And so God does not need to change his mind. One of the things that causes us as humans to change our mind is new information, right? We find out something new and we go, oh, that changes how we view this. There is no such thing as new information to God. None of it. I don't care how much you study. I don't care how many things you say. I don't care how many bones you dig up from the ground. There is no new information to God. So he doesn't change his mind. So we see, they go to Balaam and he's like, all right, let me talk to the Lord. In the Old Testament, when you see all capital letters, Lord, it's Yahweh. He is talking about the God. So Balaam knows who God is. Balaam is not an Israelite, or else he'd be with, you know, the Israelites. Yet he knows who God is. And he says, let me go talk to him. So God says, hey, who are these people? You notice how we said God knows everything. How many of you, either as a parent or as a kid, had this done to you by your parents? Your parents ask you a question when they full well know the answer. It's a tried and true technique to drive your kids insane. Maybe you had a spouse do it to you. You know, whatever. That's what God does to Balaam here. He goes, hey, um... Who are all those people camped there? He already knows who they are. He knows exactly why they're there. And he knows exactly what he's going to say to Balaam. But he's like, who are they? And Balaam's like, hey, they're from the Moabites and the Midianites. And they want me to curse this Israelite army. Can I do it? They're offering me money and stuff if I do it. Can I, can I do it? And God says, no. They're my people. They're blessed. They're coming. There's nothing that you're going to do to stop them. And Balaam makes probably the only intelligent decision he makes throughout this entire thing. Because he goes back to them the next day and goes, sorry guys, can't do it. Have fun. So they go back to Balak and Balak goes, oh crap. If I can't get a blessing from God to curse these people, I'm screwed. I know what I'll do. Send more powerful emissaries, more important emissaries, and more money. 
And in this, we see who Balaam truly is. Did God already give Balaam the answer? Did he go back to him anyway and try to beg him to change his mind? Why? Not because he felt so horribly for the Moabite women and children. Because more money and more famous people showed up. Balaam is a greedy son of a gun. And he goes back to God. And God says, all right, fine, go. But you're going to say only what I want you to say. Notice he doesn't tell Balaam, fine, go, but I'm going to make you bless the Israelites. It's just, you're going to say what I want you to say. So Balaam comes out of him and he goes, got permission, going to curse him, going to get a ton of money, a lot of fame. I'm going to be the single greatest prophet in the world. This is going to be awesome. But in verse 22, we read, but God was angry because he was going. Now, on first glance, you go, God, you can't be angry. You told him to go. Not quite the case. How many times have you been upset but said, fine, do it? And God's going to prove a point by letting him go. So number one, God doesn't change his mind. Always remember that. That doesn't mean you don't beseech the throne room of heaven. You do. It does mean when you get the answer, you go. Or you stay, depending on what the answer is, right? When God gives you the answer, Maddie and I have talked about this the past couple of days about a few things. When God wants you to do something or doesn't want you to do something, he's not ambiguous about it. He doesn't go, well, I don't know, what do you think you should do? He doesn't pull the, sorry ladies, but if I may pick on you for a moment. He doesn't pull the, yeah, that's fine, go out with your friends tonight. Don't go out with your friends that night, gentlemen. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Trust me. It's not worth it. He does not try to trick you. He does not try to fool you. He doesn't try to make it hard for you to understand what his will is. Most of the time, let me rephrase that, all of the time when it's hard to understand the will of God in your life, it is because of you, not because of God. So when God makes what his will is clear in your life, do it. He's not going to change his mind. He might allow you to go and do something, i.e., fine, Balaam, go. But there's consequences to pay. And Balaam pays some consequences that probably stuck with him the rest of his life. We don't read about him again. Uh, I mean, we do, but not as, a, as the prophet. We read about him in the following verses and chapter or so, what happens thereafter. Don't try to get God to change his mind. He's not going to do it. Do what he tells you to do. Number two on your note sheets, an eventful journey, an eventful journey. So this is the story, right? All the time, most of you are old enough, in fact, probably all of you are old enough to remember flannel graphs, right? Is there anybody in here who doesn't know what a flannel graph is? So a flannel graph, this is a Baptist thing. I never saw it in any other church. You'd have your old Baptist woman, who was teaching you Sunday school. And you'd walk in and there would be a nice green flannel felt like board on the wall. And there would be little characters and you plastered them up there. Right? 
When this story gets told in Sunday school with your flannel graph, they leave out the first half. But it's really important to understand why this happens. So it's an eventful journey. So God sets himself, himself up against Balaam. If God sets himself up against you, is there any way you're going to succeed? No. And notice Balaam doesn't get very far until the angel of the Lord moves. So they're going down the road. And here's the other thing. We always told this story like it's just Balaam and his donkey. It's not. He's got servants with him. And he's got the emissaries from the Moabites and Midianites with him. So here they are going down the road. And the angel of the Lord stands in the road. And his poor donkey sees this angel. And freaks out. As would you. In scripture, what is the most common thing the angels say when, you, when they are seen? Fear not. Why? Because they're scary. If I showed up and was like, fear not, you'd be like, I'm not afraid. <laughs> Five foot six fat white guy, I ain't afraid of him. And Mike Tyson comes in with his boxing gloves on. He's like, don't be afraid. You'd be like, I'm a little afraid. He's got his tiger with him or something. I'm a little afraid. So here's the thing, right? Angels are creepy. Every description of angels in scripture is not this, oh, beautiful thing you put at the top of your Christmas tree. They've got eyes in weird places. They've got a bunch of wings. They're like flaming swords carrying. It's, it's terrifying. And so this poor donkey, God allows him to, God this poor donkey who is a her, that's what it says, allows her to see this angel. And this donkey says, I'm going to save me. I'm going to save my rider. And goes off into a field. And Balaam hits the donkey, and they get back on the road. And a little ways later, now they're in a pass where you can't go off to either side. The donkey sees this angel again, and it's like, this guy, can't get rid of him. But I got to get by him. I don't want to get hit again, so I got to get by him. So he, she, uh, excuse me, she crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Balaam's really mad now. Hits this poor donkey again. And then we see the third time. And there is nowhere for this donkey to go. It can't crush a foot against a wall. It can't go off into a field. So it does what I wish I could do whenever hard things happen and just lays down. Just gives up. Just goes, all right, fine. Here we go. One of my favorite videos. I love cat videos, right? One of my favorite videos are of cats that just give up and just go, on the ground. And that's what I picture this poor donkey does. It just goes, fine, clunk. Balaam's all ticked off about it. How dare you? You're my donkey. And if I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you because you're bad donkey. And then something really weird happens that isn't weird to Balaam. The donkey talks to him. The only reason I didn't keep going was so that the angel didn't kill us. If your animal started talking to you, full sentences, perfect grammar. Hey, how you doing? Excuse me? Right, we all act like our pets talk to us. You might be like me. My cat, Annabeth, loves to walk into the kitchen and just start screaming her head off. And my wife and I just yell back at her. She's in the kitchen and she goes, wow, we go, wow, what do you want, wow? Right? And we're like, oh, they're talking to us. No, they're not. If she ever walked in the kitchen and was like, where's my food? <laughs> Excuse me, repeat yourself, please. 
we'd freak out. I checked. As far as I know, there are two times in Scripture where an animal talks to a human. The first one being in the Garden of Eden, where Eve doesn't freak out that a snake is talking to her. And then here, where Balaam doesn't freak out that his donkey, who apparently he has had his whole life, starts talking to him. This is not a hill worth dying on. Many of you will probably disagree with me on this. That is a-okay, because quite frankly, it doesn't matter. But I believe that one, in the garden before the fall, at least certain animals had the ability of speech. If not all of the animals, at least certain did. It's the only explanation I can come up with for why Eve's not freaking out when a snake talks to her. However, that doesn't apply to this, because we know by then, even if they had the ability to speak, they don't. So what's the only explanation that I see? I did a lot of research into it, trying to figure it out. The main idea that scholars have come up with is that Balaam might know the Lord. He also, however, will make divinations to all the other, quote, gods. And he's talked to some animals before. Or more accurately, he's talked to demons who either indwelt the animal or just took on the form of an animal. That's what I choose to believe because enough other scholars believe it. When we get to heaven, God might just go, yeah, I just didn't make it so he freaked out. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is I always found it interesting. Balaam doesn't freak out when this donkey talks to him. So I got to think he's got some experience with it. And they have this conversation and God opens his eyes, Balaam's eyes, to what's in front of him. You are constantly surrounded, church, by angels and demons. They're here, they're everywhere. They outnumber you a billion to one. They are not infinitely numbered. We know that because it says a third of the angels fell. You can't have a third of infinite. It doesn't work. So there is a finite number, but way more than humans. Exponentially more. And you're constantly surrounded by them. And you better thank God that he doesn't open your eyes to them because you'd freak out if you could see what was around you right now. That's why it says you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Angels and demons are constantly watching. And God opens his eyes to this angel. And Balaam, we think, has a change of heart. God, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'll go back. What have we found out about Balaam to this point? He's an angry son of a gun. He's a greedy, selfish son of a gun. We haven't seen him at all experience any sort of actual good moral character. So why do we think he has a random change of heart here? When in actuality, when we read further on in Scripture, what happens is he's just trying not to get in trouble. How many times have you heard, are you sorry you got caught or sorry you did the wrong thing? Balaam is sorry he got caught. Not that he did the wrong thing. And God says, no, keep going because I'm going to use you. If you want to know the rest of this story, read on. Because the Israelites' army, he goes to curse them and all he can do is bless them. Because your tongue is controlled by God when he wants to control it. Most of the time it's controlled by you and you should probably keep it behind your teeth, quite frankly. Read James, you'll know I'm not lying. But every once in a while, he takes it over, and he did then. 
So it's an eventful journey. So God doesn't change. It's an eventful journey. So three, why the donkey? Why is this whole story in Scripture? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, it does show God's power, his might, his glory, that his will will be done no matter what. The Israelite army was not cursed. They were blessed. But the other thing, the big thing that I want us to take out of this one, is that God uses the things and culture around you to get your attention, to speak to you. Now, I'm not talking about the sinful things around you, but the general culture. Let me give you an example. Many Christians in America believe wholeheartedly that the gifts of power, miracles, healing, tongues, no longer exist. We're not going to get into what tongues and all that stuff is today. But the fact of the matter is that if you go to like the Amazon River Basin or you go into Eastern religions, the Christians there God is using spiritual things to reach the unbelievers there. He's performing miracles. He's doing things that can't be explained. Why? Because they still very strongly believe in the spiritual world. And so God uses the spiritual world to prove who he is. In America, we have decided we know so much better than the spiritual world. Now, please do not misunderstand me. Science and medicine is incredible. I would die if I didn't take 2,000 milligrams of metformin. Is it milligrams? Thank you. 2,000 milligrams of metformin daily. Eventually, I'm going to die anyway, but I would die much, much quicker if I didn't. I take other medications at times. Ibuprofen is great. My grandma just went to the hospital And she's alive because of doctors and nurses and science. So please do not misunderstand me when I say this. Because God gave us all of that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, we have decided we know better than God and can form a rational explanation for everything. Including things that happened thousands of years ago in scripture, we try to find rational explanations for. And so God said, fine, I won't use the spiritual world. Because you don't listen to it anyway. I'll use logic. I'll use reason to get your attention. The perfect example in scripture of it is when Paul walks into Athens. We read this story in Acts. And in Athens they have statues to all the different gods and goddesses that they worship. And they have one statue that is dedicated to the unknown God. Because they were so afraid that they had forgotten somebody and didn't want to be cursed by them that they said, listen, this will cover it. We'll just put, we'll put an offering there and whatever unknown God it is, it's perfect. And Paul walks into Athens and he goes, I can use that. You have a statue right there. It's the unknown God. He sits right next to Zeus and, or at that time, Jupiter and such because you were living in Roman times and all of that stuff. So let me introduce you to the unknown God. Wherever Paul went, he always used the culture and things around them to show who Christ was. And God does the same thing in our lives. He doesn't try to go, oh, well, I'm just going to do something weird most of the time. Sometimes he does. And yes, Christianity is 100% countercultural. It always has been. It always will be. But God takes this saying to heart. The message does not change. 
but the method in which you preach it does to meet the need. Mom does not teach children's church the same way I teach in here. And if I walked into children's church and tried to read 35 straight verses to them, I'd lose them in 30 seconds. (laughs) There you go. You're right. The fact of the matter is your method changes, but your message does not. And God does that in our lives. Don't try to be like, oh, well, I'm going to use something that nobody understands. Find what the people you are preaching to resonate with. If it's sports, use sports. If it's science and such, use science and such. If you're called to go into a, real, into a place where they believe wholeheartedly and strongly in the spiritual world, use it. Use the culture God has placed you into to preach the good news. Not falling into it. You're not trying to walk some line. But don't always swim against the current when it comes to the method of doing it. Swim against when it comes to the message and preach the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you again. As I've thanked you the past couple weeks, we thank you again for these stories in Scripture. These one-offs in Scripture. Whether it's an axe, whether it's a left-handed guy, whether it's a talking donkey. Father, we're just praising you that you put, all, you put these, script, these passages in there for us to learn from and grow from and become more like your son from. Father, I want to ask you this morning that you would help us to walk in our culture and preach the good news. Not walk in the horrible things of our culture, but walk in the things like using Facebook Live or using, as some other churches do, YouTube Live. Or using uh, Twitter to get your information out there. Stuff like that. To preach your gospel. Show us and teach us best how to reach people with the good news. We praise you, Father. We love you. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.